Welcome to a special episode of the Nordic Keyforge podcast. Today it will be me, Zaramis, and with me I have uh, Algenondre. Indeed. Or... And uh, we're dedicating this episode to the upcoming season 18 of the NKFL. So it's not a regular podcast episode where we go through some segments or talk about the game in general, but instead we're going to focus entirely on the NKFL strategy for it, some analysis of deck archetypes or lineup choices and uh, some things like that. And it's a special episode. You cannot expect these often at all. It was just a spur of the moment thing because some people wanted uh, our thoughts on it. So yeah, we got together spontaneously, didn't we? We did, and uh, deadline day is approaching fast, so we only have a few days left to... It's Tuesday, to, right? Yeah, I think it's Tuesday, yeah, to to decide on the lineups. So yeah, that's uh, what we are thinking about right now. And I thought I had my lineup done until yesterday when I played some with Amritaka, and suddenly things were thrown off again, and new plans were made and so on, but I have played in the NKFL for nine seasons, I think. How many have you played? Uh, Sixteen. 16 seasons yeah so some part of our choices are probably rather intuitive even if uh, carl here says that he doesn't analyze much when making his choices i th- i still think you can see a certain difference in both how people pick decks and what kind of lineups we bring and what works and so on because tell yeah. me is it the same decks that have the highest win rate on tco competitive that have the best results for you in the league um no i would say uh overall it um it certainly is like a correlation in general but there are also like outliers decks that perhaps perform uh good versus a particular um archetype or something uh, and that tends to do uh, better in nkfl than on tco since you can actually like uh you have a good chance to get the matchup you want. Yeah. yeah. And if there's anyone who joins us and listens to this who is not familiar with the NKFL, I'm just going to give you a very, very short rundown. So in NKFL, we have six decks. You start off by banning one, then you safe one, then you ban another, and then that leaves you with four decks to play over three games. So the one deck will not be played. And this has given rise to a lot of different thoughts and strategies. For example, I know after I played uh, Beijing last season, they concluded that next next time, next season, they would not bring decks that have as big weaknesses. Because they had some extreme rush decks and some other very extreme decks. And it was noticeable that they could stumble, for example, against big border decks that they had really, really big problems with and so on. And then they, and they ended up in a choice where they had to choose decks that were bad in the matchup uh, to play. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I am primarily going to talk about this part of the NKFL, the deck selection choices, the things we do before the season even starts. The banning and so on is is later on, but this will, of course, uh, influence it a little bit as well. But first, we're going to use some terms um, that is called archetypes or deck archetypes. So I'm just going to give a very short rundown of the deck archetypes that we will be talking about. 
deck archetypes, some of them that we launched on this podcast in a, one of our pretty early episodes. Because many of you have probably heard about uh, rush decks, that or racing decks, as uh, Hydro keeps insisting that he will call them. <laughs> and you've heard about control decks. But we have divided that into slightly different categories in order to more talk about how a deck plays. So there's Rush, which is pure, like you purely try to get as much Ember and get those keys off them with key sheets and so on. Then there's Crush, that had a big rise after MM and um, with a speedy board meta came out. And Crush deck is a deck that rushes as well as wipes the board constantly. It doesn't try to reap. It doesn't try to really establish a board presence at all. It just wants to keep an empty board, play action cards or pips from hand, and make keys. There is the heist deck, which is a deck that primarily focuses around stealing. You usually see the triple red penny, double bow knithing, citizen shrieks kind of decks that are dependent on the opponent having ember in order for them to win, as Carl became very aware of <laughs> in our semi-final game that we spoke about in the last episode. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> three red pennies, if the opponent has no ember, are just three very poor creatures that keep coming back into your hand. Yeah, especially if the opponent also can wipe the board uh, constantly. Yes. So. <laughs> um, then there is Flood, which is a combination of speed and a lot of creatures, which means that they try to overpower whatever a creature control the opponent has by just keep putting down creatures on the board. Every, every turn puts more creatures down, like four or three creatures that all, all are threatening in some way. And those decks often want very few artifacts, very few upgrades. You want to be able to, no, almost no matter what happens, you want to be able to put out a new group of creatures if someone destroys the old ones. And then if they, if you're given a single turn of stuff where you can do something, you just reap out and use all the cool effects that your creatures have. Uh, there's some combo decks. Do you want to talk a little bit about what a combo deck does, Carl? Hmm? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Like um, a combo deck, obviously, is um, you're trying to reach um, uh, a game state or trying to find pieces in your deck uh, in order to pull off uh, like a high, uh, big impact um, swing on the game. So notably, a Genka deck. Uh, I have one in my lineup. I have had it for quite a few seasons. Um, yeah, basically, if you, if you pull the combo off, you tend to win. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was just going to mention that, that in order for something to be a combo deck, you usually almost need to win by doing the combo. Otherwise, it's just nice synergies. But a combo deck yeah. tries to get to the combo, and if it does, it's over, more or less. Yep. Um, there's uh, some generic board decks that are usually uh, from Worlds Collide that have very, very dangerous creatures that they t try to protect, uh, like Citizen Shrieks and other like, creature protection decks, where they will win if the creatures stay on board for more than a couple of turns, uh, and so on. But I think we've covered like the, the most uh, prominent archetypes. Yeah. I suppose board, board decks also tend to... like. Uh instead of flood where you just keep new creatures coming up board decks tend to be better at protecting the lineup or the battle line that you do have with wards yeah and exactly the, with and taunts stuff. and wards and uh, stealth mode or whatever yeah 
And at the very, very far end is the very elusive control deck in Keyforge that they're very rare because most decks need to forge keys, but control decks essentially either try to lock you out or try to prevent you from playing the game until they, they can do their thing completely unhindered. Very rarely try to get any Ember at all because they want to achieve a state where, where they can win no matter what. Yeah, I heard rumors that they, those exist. I've never seen one in my own collection, though. No, um, <laughs> me neither. I totally don't have one of those. <laughs> oh. She always comes back into this podcast. I, I, I don't think I'm on a single episode where we don't either allude to or talk about Helena in some way. <laughs> um, but this brings us into the next segment or next part of this special episode. And it is, how do you choose your NKFL lineup? So when you first come into the NKFL, especially if you're a slightly newer player, then you usually just pick the six decks that you like feel most confident, uh, your strongest six decks, or just decks that you like playing. But if you have quite a lot of choices to make, there are three essential strategies, and I have only spoken about these a little bit in uh, the Team Swindle Discord before, so this is a new theory here on the special episode from uh, the Nordic Keyforge podcast. Yeah, I'm very excited to hear it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I managed to lure Carl here, here on a Friday night <laughs> in order for this exclusive reveal of a Zaramis analysis. Um, so, there are three fundamental strategies to how to choose a lineup. The first one I'd like to call the solo Archon one. It's usually the strongest strategy if your decks are just all in the 95 SAS. Like you have six decks that are so good they can all perform in a solo Archon tournament and possibly win it. It's a strategy that mostly works if the decks do almost everything and they do it really well. You don't have, need a plan, you can just pick any decks. And this is the strategy that you use if you only have six good decks as well. Then you basically think, oh, these are my only six good decks. I will try to bring them. They, they don't synergize with each other or they don't try to achieve a certain like state in the ban phase. They don't counter specific things. They just try to be good. And that is probably the, the easiest strategy to just go with right away. And many people that have come into the NKFL think that this is what it comes down to, that there, there is no deeper analysis to choosing decks at all. But that is something that I obviously disagree with, or I wouldn't sit here week after week talk about strategies of banning and picking. Yeah, it sounds like, um, uh, well, then you basically just uh, don't care about the banning phase, or you haven't analyzed that part of it, uh, the banning and saving of decks. Um, but um, yeah, I would say that uh, that's pretty much how I've picked decks uh, in the past. Apart from only, one or two seasons, right? Yeah, only a few yeah. Uh, seasons um, I've done something else. But uh, for me, it also has been a lot of trial and error, I think. Uh, I have quite a few seasons of play, and uh, certain seasons you see what works and doesn't work, and you, you swap out things that doesn't work, but then it doesn't also always come down to like individual decks. It also combined is like, does this combination of deck work or, or does this combination of decks work uh, but uh, yeah I, I think trial and error it has been my 
Is that a fourth, uh, fourth? Trial uh... and error, <laughs> and ending up with a solo archon strategy. Yeah. No, but I think I think that that uh, like it's a solo archon that has adapted a little bit to the NKFL meta or to what you might like face and so on. Yeah. Um. That is the the one of them. The second one is what I call the specialized lineup, where you try to capitalize on one thing so much that the opponent runs out of decks that can handle it. So for example, if you bring six rush decks and the opponent only has scaling ember control in three of their decks, you will ban they will you will ban one, they will protect one, you will ban another, and they only have one deck left that they will actually play that can handle extreme rush. And if your rush is just better at its speciality than what their decks are trying to do, then that should be like a mathematical win for you, 2-1, if your decks are just good enough at what they do. And these specialities can be bringing six decks that all are flooded decks and hoping that you can ban away enough creature control. This also gambles a little bit on the fact that maybe one other person in, the, in your division has brought like six counter decks to whatever you're trying to do. But that's just one person. You're hoping to statistically keep winning the other matchups in a way that will ensure a top placement in the group. Maybe it's not a, a super solid strategy to get the first place or win the, the playoffs, but it is a very solid strategy to do well, to maintain a position. And this is what I would recommend to people who have quite a big collection, but don't feel like they can perform in like the solo Archon category. Then I think that you might have greater success with a specialized lineup than you would with just trying to have better decks than people who possibly have better decks than you. Uh, because yeah. you you have a strategy even from the get-go. You know what you're trying to accomplish and you can uh, you have an easier time seeing which of their decks are a threat to yours. The ban phase becomes an easier thing for you because you know what to look for rather than just trying to look at six decks and decide which, which one of these are worse or better against mine. Yeah, so would you always bring six decks? Because I feel like since the since the hexed format allows for, uh, I mean, you end up with four decks and you can play three of them. I think all you need is five decks, really. That does the same thing in order. Yeah, to play yeah. You, you, and you can always with uh, forward with uh, a six deck that can do something different or handle a different uh, kind of. Uh, Maybe a counter to to your counter or something like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That if you run into that rare like matchup where you don't want to play the three specialized decks you have left, having one that does something very different, and that yeah. is is actually a small uh, intro to the the third strategy. Okay. Which is what I would like to call the counter strategy, where you, for example, uh, have. A, two decks that counter one thing, two decks that counter another, and two uh, solo Archon decks or just uh, some kind of third specialization. And these decks often uh, require a lot of analysis in the ban phase, the, you, because you are focusing on different decks for each matchup you have. You don't play your, your three best decks every time, but instead you see wildly different safe bets. You see different uh, bans from different opponents probably because they see different decks that you have as a threat. And this is what I did last season when I brought basically two flood decks, 
two anti-rush decks and two like board control uh, and yeah, sneaky tricks decks basically that are won by other uh, other other uh, circumstances or other means than the normal. Yeah. Uh, and that meant that I often had a deck that I knew immediately that I wouldn't play in a matchup, but I also had decks that were highly specialized if I knew what to look for. And I could ban very differently depending on what kind of decks I was facing. Uh, I could even try to guess what they would ban and then form a strategy from that. And I think that this is the hardest thing to pull off, but it counters specialized lineups very, very well. While specialized lineups are usually, in theory, good at countering the, the Solo Archon matchups, because Solo Archon try to do everything, and then hopefully they don't have enough to counter the specialized one. Like, if yeah. every deck needs to have both Ember, Steel, Creature Control, then they might not have enough Creature Control to counter that 26 Creature or Ward deck, for example. Yeah. The nice thing about uh, the specialized lineup is the banning phase gets very, very easy. Uh, that you can probably see like what deck counters you the most, and then you can obviously prepare for what they will likely save. And, like, yeah. it, it makes it very easy uh, to predict, uh, usually. And that is one of the reasons why I recommend the specialized one to, to someone who has a, a bit of a collection or wants to try to like punch higher than than uh, their weight. Didn't yeah. you bring like sixty eight SAS decks and stuff that were winning against uh, eighty ninety yeah. SAS solo archon decks? Basically, can you yeah, tell us that was my that, that was season? my first uh, season back in gold after being in the lower divisions for quite a bit. Uh, I reached gold um, with the lineup more close to what I have now, but then the first. Uh, first season in gold i brought a lineup where most of the decks were in the low 70s some were like high 60 as well uh, but basically they were all really fast rush decks and um, a lot of them were flood as well uh, so just uh, trying to reach three keys as fast as possible with uh, creating big boards and um, yeah Worked pretty well, uh, surprisingly well, I have to say. I have no, had no matches where I just felt completely uh, owned. Maybe versus Sysox, but it was still close to winning uh, one or two games there. Yeah, I was surprised uh, at seeing the lineup and seeing how extremely well it did and how oppressive it felt when you just high-rolled these rushy, super-speedy boards out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it certainly asks for answers, uh, and it makes uh, the banning very, very easy. So basically, I can see, uh, look at how much C do they bring. Basically, take out the the best um, best uh, C deck that can uh, that have multiple wipes, and uh, maybe they have uh, a lineup that has plenty of uh, such decks. But uh, yeah, in my experience. Uh, it made the, the banning very easy and it made the uh, actual like picking the order not hugely important either. So it just makes the match more uh, pre-decided and predictable yeah. and uh, yeah, not as stressful. <laughs> so that's a nice thing. Yeah, while the counter pick strategy is often 
it's very hit or miss and uh, you have to guess what they fear for example sometimes it's about uh, having one deck that you know is extremely good against rush in my example i have one of decks like that and that yeah. deck changes how people pick uh, because if they only have one rush deck they usually don't want to risk it unless that rush deck is very very good or they do what Carl did that we spoke about in the last episode, that where you try to guess when is the least chance that that counter pick will be used, uh, and so on. The same thing with some of my extreme flood decks. If someone knows that they will auto lose into one of your picks, the psychological pressure of picking a potential auto loss is very, very rough. Like you don't want to go into a picking phase where you know it's one third or even fifty fifty that you just lose. Yeah, and that changes how people play. It changes how people ban and changes how people. Uh, uh, it's the mental factor, which we can also see when people ban away decks they just don't want to face. Uh, yeah, it's like the same feel bad uh, thing you can use to your advantage to get uh, matches. Uh, yeah, that's the advantage of, of having a, a combo deck uh, like Genka that are like despised by many players. Uh, they yeah. don't want to face it, so uh, well, they tend to, to ban it, which means you, you get to play other decks in your lineup uh, that may be like stronger in in a certain uh, versus a certain uh, opposition. So, as someone who has banned that Genka every time, uh, I, I it's probably right. Uh, and uh, but it is frustrating. No one wants to lose to the fact that you drew four Ember Pips and the yep. Genka early in the match. No. Yeah, exactly. It's a, the potential high roll is frustrating enough to warrant a ban to just <laughs> not see it. Um, but yeah, that makes it um, yeah that serves a purpose. So what do you think about uh, the concept of ban bait decks in general? Ah yes, I, yeah, I was just thinking about it of course as well. Uh, yeah. Especially if you have, like, I don't think a ban bait is a good idea if you actually have decks that are really, really strong, all of them. But for for a new player coming in, when you're sitting there and trying to choose your fifth or your sixth deck for your lineup, and you might choose a deck that is decently good, but you you have your doubts about it, or choosing that deck with three Infernuses that you have that doesn't win because it doesn't generate Amber, but it still has three infernuses and something, some other obnoxious card. Yeah. Then you you might actually want to pick that deck because there's at least a couple of people will look at it, and they won't look at the four ember pips and the fact that it doesn't have any speed or something. But instead, look and say, "Oh, I hate when my deck gets purged. Three infernuses. That sucks. I don't want to face that." Yeah, I I think so as well. And I did a little experiment today. Uh, I did a little experiment when I asked some of my co-hosts of this podcast. Uh, I, I gave them four decks, four deck links, and I said, hey, I need your help. In what order would you hate ban these four decks? Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I got some little motivations and uh, so on. And they were all like really good decks. They weren't ban bait decks. Uh, but uh, oh, Was it just a trick question? You... <laughs> You just wanted to get some input for the, for the podcast. For the podcast? No, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't entirely a trick question, but I had it in mind. I was like, hmm, this is interesting because this is also a part of banning strategy or, or lineup strategy. Bringing a yeah. deck that 
that will be hated is pretty good. And one of those decks, for example, that they brought up today is one of those. Actually, two of them were triple Infernus decks. Yeah. yeah one of them has Hysteria as well and Exhume. And that was the deck that no one wanted to face. I don't know how deep analysis my friends did, but I asked for a very spontaneous, just like, which one would you ban? Uh, and that one got everyone's ban except one person who banned another. In this little theory exercise. Yeah. Is it the best deck I have? Maybe. No comment. But it's a very annoying deck to, to when you see 10 of your cards purged after, like, before the first run through of your deck. Yeah. But it did look quite good as well. Let's see. It is quite good. Yeah. People will have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to judge for themselves. <laughs> yeah, I see Carl here looking at it again. It's like, yep. Yeah. But also, interestingly, like it was one of the highest SAS decks. And I think SAS is also something that uh, Good point. Yeah. comes into play when people ban decks. Um, at least in my experience, uh, the highest SAS deck in my lineup is usually one that's banned. Um, maybe... Like in my case, since it's the Genka deck, I don't know which which part of it. Uh... Two things speaking for uh, that. Bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, I think in general, high SAS uh, is sending out like alarms for people. Uh, they don't want to miss uh, misjudge a deck or, or end up like I let them play this deck and now I feel stupid. Yeah, um, exactly. Because they think that they see the SAS and go. Have I seen everything that this deck can do? Is there some yeah. trick I'm missing? Yeah. Um, and another, here's a very like a special secret tip. If you submit your deck highest up in the deck submission when you send it in for the league, it ends up at the top of the spreadsheet. Uh, and then it's listed highest, and it will be the first deck that people click on. If you make sure that that, that deck is also the highest SAS, it will be at the top, <laughs> looking threatening yeah people are have pay less attention to the decks late in the lineup yeah true but i all i always order my decks from sas from top to bottom yeah in the uh, spreadsheets uh, or how i how i how you submit them how i submit yeah. them yeah yeah so uh, there's uh, there's some uh, psychology at works in the in the nkfl <laughs> not only about the quality of the decks but how you present them to your opponent yeah <laughs> You can also, for example, talk about the deck on a podcast a lot. Exactly, how you talk about them on the <laughs> podcast. That's the next level. Start a podcast and try to influence how people perceive your lineup. Yeah. <laughs> Have three people talk about how terrible it is facing something. And, uh... Yeah, it's all part of the grand plan. 42 episodes in, and this is the purpose. Do you also want to sit for 30 minutes watching your deck slowly get dismantled and you can't do anything about it? <laughs> Let yeah. me play this deck. <laughs> but going back to the basic strategies and the basic lineup, however, we have some few more points that we will cover before this special episode is over. We now have our three basic strategies. The specialized lineup, you have the solo Arca lineup, and you have the counter lineup. But how do you then choose what decks fit into these what is the process that you can do to actually pick decks? And when you are uncertain if a deck fits a lineup or not, what, what should you look for? So there are a couple of different strategies that have, people have used. 
Some people actually run solo tournaments or gauntlets with their decks to see if they, they fit the lineup. A gauntlet would be when you, for example, bring out one deck of each archetype and then test your deck against them in solo play or with a friend. So can it handle a heavy rush? Can it handle a board? And so on. Others uh, play solo tournaments, which is what I love doing. Like I just take all my best decks and I put them in a nice challenge, uh, like Swiss or a double elimination or something. And I let them crash into each other until I see which one of my decks is the champion of my own little solo tournament. Have you done anything? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have done that as well. Maybe not like for the sole purpose of finding finding the lineup uh, decks. Um, but I've, I've done it just for fun to, to just try all my best decks versus one another. Uh, and I think it's very interesting to see. Did it go as expected? I have one. I have one ongoing, uh, one that takes forever, where I use all my, like the seventy-two best decks, which means not all of them are great. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it has some very unexpected results where my league decks just uh, get uh, beaten all over. <laughs> like that um, is very interesting. Yeah. So maybe I need to <laughs> look at uh, at what to change in my lineup but i'm not sure what, what are your your experiences have your league decks performed the best in such a setting or um, well one of my league decks that have performed the best was actually picked through this process uh okay. it was zap the deck we discussed a little bit with a mm, yeah. big creatures 17 pips that deck was a deck that i just didn't see how it could do well it had minus speed or very very slow speed and it didn't look dangerous and I played it in my solo tournament because it had done well on TCO competitive. And it just kept beating my good decks. And I was like, mm. this deck shouldn't be this good. Like, it's yeah. not possible. It has bad cards in it. Like, what is it that it's doing? And then it ended up at the very top with a score of like 13 to 3 or something bizarre like that against my best decks or 13 to 2. Yeah. Um, hmm. and yeah was, that's interesting. And I just said, okay, uh, fine, I'll I'll play it. The the stats are clear. Uh, so that deck was picked out to be part of uh, my lineup through there. But yeah. one of the decks that I included also ended up the <coughs> tournament with 2.13 in stats. Ah, okay. So it lost almost every single lineup, or every single match, and that was ping. Because yeah. I don't play rush decks, and I don't play yeah, yeah. many artifact decks. <laughs> So it just got stomped on by board deck after board deck after board deck. Ping also seems like the, the most tricky deck to play versus yourself, since it's so counter. Uh, it's so much about counter. Yeah, the play. threat of a TMTP. Or yeah, exactly. Lifter. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's the, the like normally I think playing versus yourself works very very well, but if you have multiple just counters, uh, it is difficult to. To not play differently uh like if you know someone if you know you have it in the hand like the snack lifter for example uh i tend yeah, to will i gamble and play that early artifact i think yeah, yeah maybe the exactly. snack lifter is in the bottom do i play the nep like seed turn two um and use yeah it i three. probably i probably yeah. would <laughs> like uh, <laughs> yes you would but if i know uh, i have uh snack lifter in the other deck's hand do i yeah, I guess I should, but <laughs> it's, tri it's tricky. 
Or you do like Sysox and play Book of IEQ. Into oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and I don't have Star Alliance in my deck. Yeah, so. that's a good that's a good thing to snack lift. <laughs> it was a very efficient game. I was, it was a very fast deck. Yeah. So is there any other way that you that you think about like um, methods of uh, just finding the the lineup text? Well, I think that uh, scouting a little bit is also something that people actually do, looking at what lineups people played last league because uh, there has been like a certain meta in in KFL that is quite different from many of the decks you will encounter even in a solo tournament or or I mean a solo Archon tournament or TCO competitive. Uh, I think that on TCO competitive, and this is good for people to know, but a lot of people bring out the decks that get quite fast and flashy results on TCO competitive. I encounter very few controlly grindy decks because people just want to play something that goes boom and wins big or tests something. And sometimes the deck will lose a lot on TCO competitive because people bring out their weird decks there weird really good decks that they want to see if they can win and you bring out one of your deck you test it against stuff and it just doesn't win then think about the fact that tco competitive is not representative of what you will face in a league like this people have yeah i usually feel a lot more confident in my decks and my matchups in nkfl than i ever do on tco and the decks that have the highest win rate on TCO are not the decks that have the highest in NKFL. So I yeah. would recommend more doing like shadow bans and like test games against friends than just seeing which decks are, are performing the best on TCO. Because you had a deck, for example, that win a lot against randoms, right? And then has mm. lost mostly everything on uh, in the league. Yeah, I wouldn't say it lost, <laughs> lost everything, but I have uh, Paul, which is the double dive deck uh, that has uh, 70 plus uh, win percent on TCO competitive, uh, but below 50%, I think 40% or something uh, in the league. <clears throat> and uh, I also tend to not play it um, that often because uh, I struggle to find the good matchups for it. Mm-hmm. So, so I track all my results i also track like the play rate of of decks how often i get the opportunity to play it but choose not to and that is all usually very telling very good stat yeah Yeah, it's usually very telling if i should swap out the deck or not um if you constantly sit there with that deck and one more and you pick the other every time yeah yeah exactly Mm. so i mean i think the format allows for a six deck that is very specific and can counter something specific uh, but unless the deck is just, um, I don't know, that deck in particular isn't like a counter uh, deck. It, it yeah. doesn't counter anything specific. It just it does its thing pretty well, uh, but it doesn't. It also struggles, uh, and especially versus uh, board decks that I think are quite common in the league uh, currently. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a good. Uh, good tip as well to keep track of your results and just not uh, not only like uh, wins and losses also uh, how many bands uh, do you play it if it doesn't get banned uh, and stuff like that uh, yes i actually do have some strategy as well to choosing your decks uh, that we will use to finish this episode with 
And when you look at your lineup, and you have, say that you have four or five decks that you are certain that you are going to bring. Try to run a couple of scenarios in your head when you're trying to choose those last decks. Which is, alright, I think that these two or three decks will probably get banned the most. What are you left with then? If you take away the three decks that you, two of those decks you will probably not be playing. What three decks have you left? Or what four decks you think you will have left? Do those decks end up in any situations where you will not want to play two of them? For example, do all of them have a similar weakness? Do all of them, or do like two of them or three of them even, have weaknesses that will end up in scenarios where you will quite often find yourself not wanting to play either of the two of your worst decks? Especially looking at your two worst decks, what are their weaknesses? Because quite a lot of the time you will be will have to play those two decks, or at least one of them, and you will have to choose between them. If the opponent sees that your last two decks that you have to pick, that one of them is significantly worse than the other, then they know which one you will be picking, most likely, which has, was the case for me several times against opponents. I looked at their last two picks, and they had often, if they have saved one of the really good ones, then I know they will pick that one last. If they have saved their two worst decks, then it's much harder to predict which decks they're playing last. And which is why a lot of people, I think, do the, I play my safety decks either first or second, because they don't want to be predictable in the, for the last pick. <clears throat> but some people were left with two decks that they didn't want to play either of them against what I could field. Uh, and it's often the case if those decks have the same weakness then you can usually maneuver someone into that position where they will have to play a bad matchup at some point. So take a look at the decks you're, you're considering for your last one and think, are these, unless you're playing a highly specialized lineup, then it's different. But for either of the two other lineup strategies, look at what they're weak against and look what kind of likely scenarios you will be in in your banning. Because it's often quite predictable what decks will be at least banned the most often mm. in many people's lineups yeah so you should spend more time thinking about those decks that you are likely to play than those you are likely to have banned each turn or like each each mm. round yeah yeah for sure and i also think like post game analysis could be something that uh, like i don't do it but i i feel like i should uh Last season, I think, not, not this season we just finished, but uh, season 16, I faced uh, Bayin. And um, that's like the only only time I can remember in NKFL where I felt like I couldn't find any good matchups after the banning phase. So what I should do probably is go back and look at his lineup then, what we ended up with and why I was put in that position what I could do about my lineup to maybe mitigate uh, that. It's not the end of the world if that happens um, one time, one match. Um, yeah. Still, I think uh, if you, after the game, <clears throat> get that feeling that, wow, this lineup simply doesn't work versus this, what, I fa what I'm facing, just look at what you are facing then and why that is. Uh, and maybe that gives some hints in how you can improve uh, the next season of uh, deck choices then. Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds like wise words to start wrapping up this short little uh, special episode. 
I hope yeah. that you have enjoyed this uh, deep dive, or at least shallow dive into uh, strategies going into Season 18. You have a few days left to organize a huge solo tournament, uh, try out your decks in gauntlets, and uh, do a deep analysis of all previous matches if you're an old <laughs> veteran, and then come up with a perfect six decks that will take the world by storm. Yeah, I still have one deck left to to choose. I have uh, five out of six. I'm pretty sure what I'm, or I, I am sure. Uh, but the sixth one that is um, mm, tricky. I have one that I want to bring, but I feel like I will end up not playing it or just losing with it when I play it. But I bought it <laughs> expensively, and I and oh. I like it. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I've uh, locked down anything between zero and five decks so far for my lineup. <laughs> okay. One of my ideas has locked five. One of my ideas has locked zero, and we'll just go with six new decks. And... Yeah, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's it uh, for us. Hope uh, you enjoyed this uh, mini episode and uh, we'll be back on some kind of regular schedule, not pumping out two episodes a week uh, soon enough yeah. when we're busy playing. <laughs> yeah. right, this was Zaramis and uh, Arginon and uh, we're signing out. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.